Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. What's going on, everybody? This is another episode of First in Foxborough. I'm Kyrie Thompson, your host, and coming to you after an eventful couple of days of joint practices down at Gillette Stadium between the Patriots and the Carolina Panthers, uh, as some have referred to it as a Patriots Fight Club or Training Camp Fight Club, whichever way you want it, we want to prefer. A lot of fighting down there, a lot of questions, a lot of headlines around that. But around that, there was actual football that happened. Uh, I can confirm that, as can my guest today, Mr. Henry McKenna, the newly minted AFC East reporter for Fox Sports. Man, how are you doing? And congratulations once again on this new gig. Thanks. Thanks, Kyrie. Yeah, um, life's good. I'm actually down in New Jersey. Going to go cover Jets joint practices with the Falcons this Friday and Saturday. Uh, so it's already a transition for me. I, I would normally be preparing for Friday night covering the Patriots, but goodbye Patriots. I got, uh, got some jets to report on. So, um, yeah, life is good. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. It, it, it is interesting, right? Because like the, the beginning part of this transition, you've still been here this, like in this entire time, pretty much. And now you're like getting into the travel portion of the schedule. So you said you're in, you're in New Jersey right now for the jets. You, they sending you any place else after that? We don't have anything on the books yet. Um, Fox sports is just kind of like restarting its editorial structure. Most fans probably don't care about this, but uh, I care. So we're, we're still making plans for the regular season now in terms of when I'm going to go see the Bills and when I'm going to see the Dolphins and 
find ways to make sure that I'm covering the whole division as a whole. Absolutely. So, hey, you guess what, guys? You know, we got our guy right now. So, uh, you know, you want you want the dirt on your AFC East teams. Uh, we're probably going to be having him back on uh, to, to give us the scoop. Before we uh, go any further, a reminder to download, subscribe, listen on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcast. That's first in Foxborough. Make sure you follow me at Katie Thompson five. Follow Mr. Henry McKenna at McKen Analysis and make sure you're following the show account at First and Foxboro, F-O-X-B-O-R-O, keeping it nice and vernacular. All right, Henry, let's get into this thing. So obviously starters for the New England Patriots did not play generally across the board. There was a Cole Strange sprinkled in there, right, and a couple of other contributors, but mostly there was a big absence on both sides of the ball of starters last Thursday with really the idea that they were gearing up for this, for these joint practices. What were your impressions of how the Patriots did? And, you know, did we learn anything new about them? Well, they don't stink. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's like the really, it, it might be the only real takeaway yeah. uh, from a macro level. There are plenty of takeaways that we could get into on a micro level, but there was a lot of hoopla and alarm and, and chicken littling about how bad this offense had looked. And I think everyone was presenting it with the caveat that we're not sure that they're making adjustments at the line of scrimmage. In fact, we were pretty sure that they weren't for the most part. Yeah, I think part. Mac Jones had said that. Like, yeah, yeah, we're just running the plays that are called. And I don't know if he was doing that just for a few days or whether it continued after he admitted it. So we, we weren't sure about the quality of the plays and how they were run because we weren't sure if they were running into the teeth of a bad defense. Um, and so – Basically, this gave us a real live look at what the offense, where it's at at this point. And rather than it looking like a total calamity, like it's looked like for most of camp, it actually looked below competent, but not disastrous. So that from a macro level is good. And then the defense actually looked really good. And and now you could go on the flip side and say, OK, Carolina's uh, offense is not exactly the best in the league. Baker Mayfield is now trending toward being the starter. That much was clear at camp. And I don't know, they're, yeah, they're, they're still sort of like rebuilding. I think from an NFC yeah. standpoint, they're a decent team from an AFC standpoint, they're not. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I think like from a macro level, the defense looked better than I thought the offense looked about what I expected it to look like. And so as they build toward week one, I think people should like they they should relax. <laughs> There's no need to have like immense anxiety about this team. It's a work in progress, and I don't know that it's going to make the playoffs. But they're not a Super Bowl team, and so that 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 expectation I think is unreasonable. Even when they win, I think like when they go eight and four because they might do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, everybody should chill out and and keep reasonable expectations because the second half of this schedule is pretty rough. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think the same thing that they're probably going to be able to go on a run in the middle of the season, just like they did last year. And then things are going to get brutal, right? You've got, you got the Bengals at the end of the schedule. You got the bills to close the season out. You got the dolphins in there somewhere and you know, you've got, got the Raiders, right? The, the team that they're going to be uh, hanging out with this week down at joint practices, they're going to have them going on to, to kind of stick with the offense just for a moment. There's been a lot of talk about the, I mean, 
really it's a it's a systemic thing right because you could talk about the offensive line not having the run game down uh and and that kind of showing up the, the running game really hasn't looked very crisp but there were also times i think tuesday was was the better day of the two for the offense I think I saw on Wednesday points where the receivers were struggling with spacing, like their, their route combinations just didn't quite look right. You had people in the same area and Mac Jones kind of being like, okay, who am I throwing to right now? And so is this just a matter in your mind of they're still figuring out what they're doing with this new offensive scheme that they're running, even though Mac Jones was kind of saying, oh yeah, we've bought in and we're getting better at it. There's definitely some figuring that's happening and uh i mean people inside the organization know that it's i don't even have to go to like sources though i am but you you can talk to the players you can see the product things are constantly changing and the they're figuring out what's working and what's not now why at this point in the training camp and now preseason are they still in such a building and rebuilding mode of their offense. I think that's where people should be kind of questioning because if, the, if they don't come out to a hot start at the beginning of the season and they don't look ready, then we've got to look back at minicamp and OTAs and even how this training camp has been structured and wonder whether they left some days on the table to get this team prepared and to get the uh, offense prepared in a way that it doesn't look like a work in process progress it looks like they're doing work on other teams and so uh i don't know what what will come but i know that what they have right now is not a week one ready product no no it's not and i know people might get upset when they hear that right that is just like what are you talking about you're being so down and and the narrative the narrative but but look i mean we've been we watched every practice that this team has done and they don't look very good on offense. I mean, I, like, I don't know what you want us to say about it. Now, the interesting thing about what you mentioned with the, with the days, right. And, 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 you know, Mac Jones kind of being like, yeah, I hope I play on Friday. That almost just seemed kind of weird that you would even leave that a question. I feel like they have to play on Friday. They need some of these reps. Now I, I do want it to, to hit on that though, because Bill Belichick, talked about, oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe we haven't done as many days in, in, in pads or many days of practice, but you know, we're relatively healthy and we're doing pretty good from that standpoint. I think you mentioned that last week, but you listen to people who have taught this offense or played in it in the past and what they're saying about it, that running this kind of running some of these like Sean McVay ish Shanahan tree sort of plays right the, the wide zone schemes that we've seen them repping over and over and over again I, I don't expect that to be the whole offense necessarily but that you know it, it's going to be clearly a, a part of it but those plays take time I mean that, that's what you keep on hearing it takes time a lot of time it's on the order of months to get this sort of thing down weeks and months not days and then uh, what Ed McCaffrey told Tom E. Curran of NBCSports.com which is that yeah, when you install these wide zone, you know, kind of schemes, installing one play is like installing 20 different plays because of the different personnel groups you got to run it out of and the different looks you got to run it against. And so from, when, when you take that into account, I mean, what do you make of the fact that the Patriots have seemingly taken so many days off and declined to put their offense on the field in preseason week one? I mean, like I was insinuating I'll say it bluntly, I think it was a bad decision for them to take on 
such a big rebuild and a complicated one and pass on important days of training camp. And uh, they canceled the third day of minicamp. They canceled the final day or two or three of OTAs. They had opportunities to rep this offense and teach it at greater depth earlier in the offseason and passed on that opportunity. What I think is possible and honestly likely at this point is that they go back to what is kind of their staple in the offense, sort of last year's offense, basically, which hasn't it's, it's not like they're abandoning it. And that might end up being uh, what they focus on in week one as they build that week one playbook. Because if they see that they're going to need another eight weeks or four weeks or whatever it is to really create this love child of Belichick offense, Shanahan offense, and McVeigh offense, then, you know, maybe they're like, you know what, we're just, it's not, it's a great idea and concept. And, and the concept is not, the rubber hasn't met the road yet here. So we're just going to do this like Tom Brady, Bill Belichick offense run by Mac Jones, the thing that kind of, but didn't work awesome last year. Uh, and that'll be kind of where they start. Now that playbook in itself is really hard to teach. And that's the whole reason why they've restructured this offense. So whether that, whether they can even go back to that as a basic, a more basic and fundamental place for this offense, that's worth questioning and debating. So uh, they're in sort of like a weird point of no return where they just have to like hope this works out. And if they need to lean back on the old playbook, I think they can just given that really like Parker and strange are the only starters that don't know the old playbook. Uh, But it's weird. I think it'll be okay. I also just like, I just don't have high expectations for this team. So that's also why like in my mind, the stakes aren't huge for the Patriots is like, were they really going to be relevant in the playoffs this year? I don't, I don't know. I mean, they, they're built. I wrote this this off season, but they're built deeper than most NFL teams, right? Given that the NFL season is longer than ever, there's there's no like there's only one buy for postseason teams, and then obviously there's only one buy in the regular season, and the regular season's longer. So, Super Bowl teams on average are playing two more games per season than they had planned. Maybe that's why Bill Belichick doesn't have as many stars, but has more like studs on both offense and defense. I just guessed that as like, uh, what's going on here. Um, I, that's probably giving him too much credit from a team building (laughs) standpoint. And uh, it's a weird roster this year that I don't think has Super Bowl potential. Yeah. And, and I think that's, I have them going like nine and eight. I mean, sure. Maybe there's like a, there's a 10 win, I've heard people, some people say 12 wins and I don't, I don't see that. No. I mean, I would say like, like 10 wins is kind of my ceiling. The, the thing I think is that they're going to be competitive, right? They're going to be competitive in, in several of these games. They're going to have opportunities to steal them with a play here, a play there. So I, I think, and especially now that there's going to be no Deshaun Watson, that's kind of what had me at the, at the nine and eight versus eight and nine, nine wins. I don't think is cutting it in this AFC. You know, that that's kind of how I see it now to, to kind of, you know, I, I want to scoot away from from offense a little bit, but let's just get this out of the way now while, while we can. Um, how much at all should we read into who calls the plays 
on Friday night because I think that through camp, through mini mini camp, starting a mini camp really, and then throughout training camp, the guy with the radio has generally been Matt Patricia. Like I would say, probably like. 90% of the time when there is a, maybe even higher, when there is a competitive team rep, he's the guy doing it. And maybe every once in a while you see Bill Belichick do it, or maybe there's a sprinkling of Joe Judge, but it always looks like it's Matt Patricia. And then they threw a little game at us last Thursday with the whole, oh yeah, uh, Joe Judge basically called three quarters of the game and and get you wondering about what that is. And Bill Belichick says, oh, it's a process and and all of that. Just like this offense is going to take time to figure out and take time to teach. And there are questions about whether or not you should have done this. There are questions about whether or not you have the right people calling these plays and the right people teaching, whether it's the old offense or, or the new offense. So I guess what should we read into whatever happens on Friday night? Is this in the bag for Patricia or are they exploring other options going into week one, which again, seems uh, a little counterintuitive. Everything about it's counterintuitive. There is nothing intuitive about this process, <laughs> uh, which is, again, it's, it's it's more weirdness from Bill Belichick, which is, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, I, I came in to be like, look, everybody relax. It's going to be OK. Like, it's not going to be great, but it'll be OK. And I really do believe that. But if you look at the sum of the parts, it looks like an absolute circus. Now, Belichick is like a, a circus ringleader. He's always done weird stuff. He's a, he, he runs a carnival show of an operation. And then all of a sudden, this. everybody like stands at the, around the NFL and they're like, whoa, this is really cool. We should try that. <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's like the avant-garde painter who just like, he just like throws stuff on the canvas. And then yeah. people gather around like, oh my God, the complexity. It's so incredible. I've never seen anything like it. And it's just a bunch of random splotches. Yeah, he's the Jackson Pollock of the NFL. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. But the, the point is that it's weird. Belichick loves weird. Weird usually works for Belichick. Now, I don't think that, like, I think this is one of the riskiest experiments he's ever tried, is taking two failed head coaches, one's on defense, a defensive guru, one's a special teams guru, to put them together and have them rebuild and run an offense as what seems to be a co-coordinator situation. Strange. Stranger still that, like we said, Matt Patricia is pretty clearly the play caller. I would be willing to bet, you know, a, a pretty solid sum of money that he is going to call plays in week one. Uh, however, Joe Judge, if he is the play caller, and um, then why didn't they give him more of an opportunity to call plays in week one, uh, which is what you were kind of getting at there, it, yep. is – okay, then what the heck is Joe Judge doing calling plays for three and a half quarters if you're trying to get Matt Patricia ready for play calling? Um, I think the answer is, I mean, you could like grasp at a few different hypotheticals. Maybe the Patriots are running a script uh, for a preseason versus there's more inter like a more live action yeah. uh setting for joint practices so they're like well we don't really care who's calling the plays for preseason so we're just gonna like mess with everyone and let joe judge call it and give him some experience so that like maybe yeah. next season if he wants to be the coordinator and patricia's doing something else then um maybe there's 
maybe it's like what they used to do, which is they'd let they'd let guys like uh, Bill O'Brien or whatever they would have these up and coming assistants would get to call offensive plays in preseason. So maybe that's what's happening here is they're very comfortable with Patricia calling plays to this point and they want to expose Judge to something like this. So then, but then it gets even weirder if Judge is calling a lot of plays next game. Because if Mac Jones and Brian Hoyer, but but again, focus on who Patricia is calling plays for. Because Hoyer called for the the starters and then Judge called for Zappy for the rest of the game. So if Patricia's calling for Mac Jones or Hoyer and Hoyer potentially, then again, you, you can see who's getting the quality reps, so to speak, of play calling. And then it's it merely affirms more of what we've seen, which is that Patricia is, quote unquote, number one play caller in what what I reported earlier this offseason was a competition. I don't really think it is one anymore. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't think so either. Everything that they have shown us in practice has been very unambiguous that Matt Patricia is the guy and it would just feel so weird to suddenly abandon that at, at this point in time. But again, it's like, there's gotta be some reason I'm, I'm inclined to, to be with you on this, that maybe it's not about week one with like Joe judge. Maybe it's like, okay, if uh, we don't love how this is going with Patricia, we feel like we need him on the offensive line, teaching these guys, maybe judge could be a backup plan. Maybe Bill Belichick can be a backup plan, you know, what have you. But I think that for, for week one, like, yeah, I'm with you. I'm hammering the bet on on Matt Patricia. Whether or not that's going to work or whether that's going to be good, I don't know about all that. But, okay, we talked a lot of offense here. I want to sort of transition away with it, though Though there's, there's going to be some offensive talk here. But, look, let's talk some rookies here. So – Cole Strange, I mean, he's basically been what we expected. I mean, he's hopped in. He's been the starting left guard. He's had He had some good moments in last preseason game. He's had some moments where he's getting beaten one-on-ones, and, you know, he could still look like a little bit of a rookie. But I, I feel like all in all, we haven't noticed him in a really bad way so far. So, so I'm kind of like, okay, cool with that. I remember you were talking like on, on a podcast earlier in the year about Taekwon Thornton and kind of pumping the brakes on him a little bit. And rightfully so. I mean, we hadn't seen him play in pads, right? It's, it's an entirely different thing when you're watching him run around and he looks fast, uh, you know, in spring and, and mini camp, but how surprised are you by what he's been doing of late? Yeah. Enormously surprised. And what he's been doing is, be the the fourth receiver, I'd say, in the offense behind Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, and Nelson Aguilar. I think he is he has dismissed a lot of the pre-draft and post-draft skepticism about his frame, that he is too small. At 6'2, 180, he um, looked like on you know a guy that would get bullied around by bigger cornerbacks and between practices with the Patriots and practices with the Panthers and preseason against the giants, we saw actually that he is, he's capable. Even even though he's skinny, his foot speed and top speed is at a level where he can be evasive 
and not get thrown around by press coverage. So that's kind of step one. That was what really hung up Nikhil Harry for his entire Patriots career. Step two is can he separate? And again, we've seen that. We've seen him not just – and what, what impressed me very early on was his ability to separate on multiple types of routes. And actually, weirdly, he wasn't separating much in the deep game early in training camp, but he was separating on horizontal routes. Mm -hmm. And his speed was creating windows in short stop routes, button hooks. Uh, Yeah, like I said, stop routes. I I haven't really seen him work like out routes very much, but but sort of dragging across the formation. Yeah, that's one way they've gotten use of his speed. So. Those are sort of the three places that he's contributed is go routes, drags, and stops. And that's enough of a sort of portfolio of professional routes to begin to build him into the offense. And other things will come, right? He's going to need to be better at running slants, and he's going to need to be able to run outs, posts, flags. Obviously, these are basic uh, fundamentals. But but for him to have like three really solid places where he can contribute um, from a route tree standpoint for him to be a willing blocker um, for him to be, to simply have an understanding of the offense in a way that seems at a veteran level, it's big. And it helps also that Kendrick Bourne, the wide receiver four, who I thought was supposed to be wide receiver one this year, he's wide receiver five right now. He, He got demoted to second and third team reps after fighting on, Tuesday on Wednesday, he was second and third team. I don't know that that will stay that way, but the fact that he descended and Thornton is ascending, it's notable. It's notable because this team hasn't been good at drafting receivers. And so, I mean, that's what makes it the biggest surprise is like nobody saw the Patriots really hitting on a receiver, especially one that everybody thought was going to be a reach and was, uh, was just like an eye candy really fast kind of speed guy, but he's materialized in ways that are very tangible and could be concrete as soon as week one. Yeah. And you know, I've noticed him varying his route speeds at times Mm -hmm. and really playing with the slowing things down and then like bursting out of a cut. And I feel like that's such an interesting, like savvy little thing for a rookie to be doing. I feel like a lot of times you see young receivers and they only really know one speed but he's already playing around with the idea of changing things up because he knows he's faster than everybody out there. And I think that's going to be really interesting, but, but you hit on something that, I mean, you wrote about today. And I think a lot of us have been wondering what in the world is happening to Kendrick Bourne right now? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm a little concerned for him. Um, He was ascending. He, He was second in the team last year in receptions, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns. He seemed to me to be their all-around most dangerous receiver. He wasn't the fastest. He's not the most shifty, but he's that sweet spot of height, weight, speed, agility, separation, explosiveness to the point where it really seemed like he had an opportunity to be wide receiver one this year. And what we've seen in training camp is that not happening. Day one, he had two catches, and then over the course of – the last two joint practices, he's had two catches. In the in the rest of training camp, he's had one catch or fewer in 11 on 11s and 7s. That's that's nothing. That is like very sparse production. I've heard different things 
um, which is like, oh, maybe they're really comfortable with where he's at in the offense and with his chemistry with Mac Jones. So they're playing him less than like Aguilar, Parker, Thornton. Um, but like even Jacoby Myers, who is comfortable, he's been playing and he's been productive. So uh, and then I think like what dismissed that was that he was running with twos and threes on Wednesday. So yeah. I don't know um, what's happening with him, but it's not good. I think that much is clear. Yeah. And and I'm not ready yet to to say that oh yeah well maybe you know they're gonna they're gonna like trade Kendrick Bourne right or uh anything like that like they're gonna move on from him but it's just it just seems so odd we've been talking him up all all you know spring and 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 winter is you know somebody who's gonna be this underrated player right in in this offense and ready to take another leap and just see that not happen is really jarring but I do want to touch on something else that you wrote this week, which was about cornerbacks. And I was, I was sitting there with you while you were, you were really trying to nail Bill Belichick on like, okay, like how important is having a number one cornerback in, in your defense? How important is that for you? And, you know, he kind of just like, just, you kind of dismissed it. Like, uh, you know, he was kind of confused by it. That's what he said. But then what happens in that in that practice on Tuesday is Jalen Mills goes and balls out. And I mean, really, he's kind of been the de facto guy this entire time. But I mean, in your mind, like, is this it? Like Jalen Mills is showing you he's the number one cornerback on this team? Yeah, I mean, he's the number one. Is he a shutdown cornerback? No. I mean, I, I in my article, I breaks on that. Yeah. Yeah. In my article, I kind of went back through the the number ones they've had. It's J.C. Jackson. It's Stephon Gilmore. It's Malcolm Butler. It's Asante Samuel. It's Sorrell Revis. It's um, I've forgotten some. It's Aqib Tlaib. It's Ty Law. There's this legacy of like truly elite quarterbacks, and this isn't it. So I like Jalen Mills. I think he's a good player, and I think if you want to see his value and what he did for the defense, you can actually look at the game where he didn't play, which was the postseason game against the bills. That's an example of how valuable he was. Josh Allen absolutely ripped apart that secondary. And I think the reason why it was so easy for him in part was because Jalen Mills wasn't there. So, and you were playing like Joe Williams and uh good Devante Bosby, right? Yeah, it was ugly. But um, I think ultimately, do do we suddenly think that Jalen Mills is going to be playing at like a top 10 cornerback level? No, I don't. I can't see that happening. I think schematically, they set him up to succeed. He will be, uh, they'll make use of his versatility, his ability to play multiple sides and multiple receivers. He won't get one assignment. He'll have many of them. Uh, it will help confuse the defense the offense and quarterback to see John Jones and Jalen Mills switching sides switching assignments John Jones will switch probably in and out of the slot intermittently um, there's going to be a lot of multiple looks at cornerback and Jalen Mills is going to be the center of that plan but not the plan the plan is use bill belichick's scheme to confuse defenses through zone defense sorry to confuse offenses through zone defense and jalen mills just so happens to be the top cornerback at the at the top of the depth chart
Yeah, and you know what? I think that's a really interesting thing. Zone defense and also the idea that you kind of touched on this earlier, that this is a very deep, if it's not an elite quarterback room by any means, but you have a bunch of what it looks like solid players. And I feel like what's going to happen here is it's going to be very like matchup dependent. There's going to be a lot of chess being played and Bill Belichick is going to be using tons of different combinations of corners and safeties and linebackers and all kinds of things on this defense to, to try to get whatever edge he possibly can out of it. And with that in mind, we've seen Jonathan Jones a lot at outside corner the last couple of days. It looks like at least, and I mean, this might just be like for a week one, or again, maybe they, they sub people in and out and what have you, but he's, he looks like they want to use him more as the number two cornerback. And you started to see more of third round pick Marcus Jones, who had himself a very nice interception on Wednesday, tips the ball, you know, catches it, toe taps on the sideline. But I've also seen some reps. I mean, he, he's generally, you know, in he's competitive. He's in people's hip pockets a lot. But I feel like he's also got a balance problem. I see him stumbling out of breaks a lot. And like at one point, he just fell flat on his face. And his lucky receiver didn't catch the ball. But all in all, aside from that, I think Marcus Jones has been pretty good. But I mean, what do you think of that particular, you know, potentially being your top three cornerbacks? Mills, John Jones, and Marcus Jones. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of it. <laughs> Like not I said, a lot of size. There's not a lot of size. Well, John Jones is a, is big for big-ish, I guess, I guess, but not in the in the days of like six foot one, six foot two quarterbacks, um, which is today. Uh, but I, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think we anyone goes into the this season being like, I want those three cornerbacks atop my depth chart, and yeah. so that's kind of where they have to be at. It's it's like, okay, this is what we have. I wouldn't be surprised if at the roster cut down deadline, they didn't try and get opportunistic and look for a top cornerback, uh, especially if they can find ways to free up cap space in other ways. But yeah, this is this cornerback room is not going to be about talent. It's going to be about scheme in 2022. It's going to be about masking their deficiencies there, using that front seven that has Judon and an emerging uh, Christian Barmore and potentially an emerging Anthony Jennings and Josh Uche get Jawan Bentley rushing free up the middle, which they were able to do against Carolina. And um, maybe they've got something special in the front seven and that masks their problems in, in the secondary. If you had to pick one guy on that defense that, is going to be the one that everybody circles. Every team is just like, we need to stop this dude. Who's it going to be? Man, that's tough. Uh, it might rotate between Barmore and Judon this year because I think Judon is the natural pick and Barmore is kind of a guy that I, that depending upon how strong an interior offensive line is, he could be more problematic. Because oftentimes teams are so hyper-focused on fixing their problems at tackles. So then they're like, they might feel more equipped to handle a guy like Matthew Judon. Where the problems might lie is, is in the interior. And so maybe Judon isn't as elite of a player yet. Uh, may never be, but, but I think he can be as elite as Judon. Maybe he ends up being more of a matchup problem for some teams. But those two guys, I think, are going to 
cause problems together this year. And I think that, I mean, if, if the Patriots are going to have a shot, like a puncher's chance at the playoffs, they're going to need that defense to step up because right now the offense is looking like it will be a work in progress into the season. And the defense, which has been better than perhaps we expected to this point, and maybe it's not entirely fluky, they're going to have to be that good. Like maybe not necessarily they're going to have to be a once in 15 years defense, uh, but but they're going to have to be pretty good, which kind of leads me to, to finish things off a little bit here. If there's any one thing or, or even a couple of things that you can think of that need to go right for the Patriots to make the playoffs, what would you say they were? What scenario can you see that could get this team into the postseason? Mac Jones elevates into a top 10 quarterback. That alone puts them in the postseason, I think, in my mind. I just don't think it'll happen. I think he ascends from like 16th best to like 12th or 13th. There's there's like a pretty big log jam of like mediocre <laughs> to above average pocket passers in the NFL that's got like Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins, that sort of brand of of good but not great pocket passer and can't really create beyond the pocket. Um, Max right there. And right now I'd kind of put him at the bottom end of that group. But if he could jump above them and start looking more like a Joe Burrow than a than a Kirk Cousins, um, then that's, that's a really relevant team all of a sudden. Uh, I think that he, he could potentially – make really good use of these above average skill players, find these matchups um, and maybe not necessarily need a number one receiver because he's so good at distributing to all of his pass catchers. Um, so yeah, if that happens, that's, that's a postseason team. If that doesn't happen, I think you need to see on offense guys like Johnny Smith, Nelson Aguilar and Devonte Parker elevate Jones and helping him make make plays on offense you need to see that uh you need to see cole strange play at starting caliber level um and then on the defense i think uh realistically you need to see like multiple sacks per game you need to see like an absolutely ferocious and terrifying defensive front that gives offensive line coaches nightmares because um, like we said, the secondary is not going to be great and they're going to be running a lot of zone and a lot of disguises, but they ultimately are not going to be able to run man very often. And so if they're avoiding man, they're going to need to have a little more diversity up front. They're going to need to have a little more pressure and create more problems. That's, that's where the strength of this entire team probably needs to be is in that defensive front seven. I agree with you. All right, Henry, thank you so much for joining me. Once again, that's Henry McKenna, AFC East reporter for Fox Sports. Before we wrap it up, remind everybody where they can follow your work at. Yeah, I'll be, I'm on Fox Sports. Uh, download the app. Go to the website, foxsports.com. Follow me at McKenna Analysis or just search Henry McKenna on Twitter. And I look forward to your angry messages and tweets. I can't wait to hear from you.
Excellent. Yeah, I mean, you you can bet they're going to be coming for both of us because we're not positive enough about the Patriots and all that. But uh, thank you very much once again for joining me. And once again, this has been First in Foxborough. I'm your host, Kyrie Thompson. Make sure you're downloading, listening, subscribing on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts, even if we're not positive enough about the Patriots. We will try if it warrants it. Peace out, y'all.